0: All right. Uh, As uh, Pete said, um, I'm Scott. I'm Scott Oakman. I'm uh, privileged to be a a member of the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights. Uh, My wife, Anita, who's over there on the end of the front row, and I uh, have been members here for about 27 years, uh, give or take, And uh, we live in Egan, Uh, we have four children uh, who are uh, ranging in age from uh, 29 to 16 now. Uh, We only have one left still in the house, so we're getting perilously close to that empty nest phase, uh, assuming that we don't get a rebound uh, phase coming up soon. Um, uh, I am a hospital psychiatrist at Regions Hospital and a training director for Regions and Hennepin Healthcare. Uh, So this is us at uh, Thanksgiving uh, last weekend. As you can see, we're starting to accumulate additional children now, which is another fun phase of parenting. Uh, So um, we do uh, welcome you to uh, the service here this this afternoon. This morning. Um, I've been up for a while. Um, also, a big welcome to those of you who are watching um, online this morning. I don't blame you one bit, and uh, I really hope that you're enjoying watching from the comfort of your home, that you've got a warm beverage, maybe even a warm puppy draped over your lap, because if I weren't up here, that's where I would be uh, right now. Um, so, uh, as Pete said, this is our uh, second Sunday of a series of Advent sermons. I learned last week that um, Advent is actually the start of the church year. Uh, it is the beginning of when the church counts, uh, when the, the year, the calendar starts. And in the early church, this was when the season began to prepare to baptize new believers at Christmas. And I see, too, that we have a baptism coming up, actually, next week. So now uh, Advent in our culture has become associated with preparing for Christmas, preparing for the Christmas season in church and then also in the culture as a whole. And a lot of times our spiritual preparation has to compete with that outside cultural preparation and all of the family preparations that we go through in the month of December, especially to get ready for the holiday. Now, sometimes these preparations enhance each other. I find in our music and our lights and our decorations, that whole idea of bringing tidings of comfort and joy in this season each year really help us to turn our eyes and our our focus toward the coming of Jesus. But the holidays can truly be a mixed bag for us. They're filled with a lot of busyness and regret sometimes, reflections on things that we've lost or people that we've lost. Sometimes we're forced to spend time with family members that we're in conflict with. Or sometimes we're estranged from family that we've had long-held grudges with. Now, those of you who have known me for a while might know... um, that I've been described in the past as (laughs) joy-challenged. But this year, um, something different happened. I got to start singing again. And after over 35 years out of an organized group, I joined a men's chorus, the Minnesota Valley Men's Chorale. And here we are. I'm the bald one in the middle with a black mask and tux on. (laughs) Holly, I love your laugh. (laughs) There really is nothing like this. Even though we had to sing with masks on this year, the ability to make amazing, beautiful music together with 40 or so other men was so exhilarating. And most of what we performed this year was Christmas-themed. It was a little early, two full weeks before Thanksgiving. But that's kind of always how the group uh, is set up. And it got me into the Advent spirit. And it was a very, very different feeling for me, to be honest. I think it might actually have been joy. My daughter mentioned to me that just watching me, she could tell what my favorite songs were. And hearing me talk about them and anticipating these songs over the weeks that we were rehearsing them ahead of time. So let me explain a little bit about the Advent spirit but first, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this community. I thank you that we can gather together, that we can listen to you, we can share about you online through worship, through uh, hearing your message, through reading the scriptures that you've given us over the years uh, in the Bible. And uh, just pray that you would teach us new things through this and uh, that you'd be present to us and tell us what you want us to know today. In Jesus' name. So who likes, and I mean really likes and loves, uncertainty? I'm not talking about that adrenaline uncertainty of being at the top of a roller coaster and wondering if you're going to die this time. I'm talking about kind of not knowing if the world is going to go on, you know? And we're really wired as human beings to prefer what is familiar and predictable in life. And um, every year around this time, I really start thinking a lot about my Northern European distant ancestors I kind of picture them in this damp, drafty stone hut somewhere on the shores of the North Sea, you know. And they're sitting around a smoky peat fire, eating moldy barley and tough mutton, maybe some oily fish. And the days are getting shorter. And the sun that used to come up and get really high over the hills and spend the whole day warming their valley, before it set into the sea, is now just barely getting up over the edge of the hills and going down behind dark clouds. And they wonder, is it always going to be that way? Fortunately, they've got an old grandpa in the village. He's the oldest guy in the village. He's, like, ancient, like 35. (laughs) His name is Don, and he weaves nets, so they call him Don the Webber. And he says, no, it's always like this. In about seven more nights, it's going to go down over there and it will stop. And gradually it's going to start coming back again and staying up longer. Trust me, I've seen it. Every year I mark it with a rock where it goes the furthest. And so far I've got five rocks lined up over there from the last five years. And there's four more over on the other side where it got the furthest in the summer. At least I think there are four. Your dad might have thrown one at a bear last summer. But the joy I began experiencing again from singing got me thinking about how much we take comfort and joy from familiar routines in the times of unpredictability and how disturbing it is to us when those things are disrupted. And we are now in a time of real uncertainty and not the good kind. We look around us and we are uncertain, I think more than any of us can ever remember being. After two years of this pandemic, we're still not really certain whether it's getting better or worse. Our church, we're not certain if it's ever going to come back to the way it was. Are we ever going to be able to have in-person services the way they were? Are we ever going to be able to have life groups the way they were? When do we get to start having potlucks again and eating together? Our academic years at schools have been disrupted. As a training director myself, we've had two years of graduations that have not been able to be held in person. My own child had to graduate virtually from high school and start college under a quarantine condition. Athletic events, which are so important to kind of our rhythm of life and uh, morale, have been disrupted. Our retail year, like shopping and theater and dining out, things that, that just used to keep us going, have been disrupted. And what about our government? And, Elections, you know, is this republic of ours going to last more than 250 years? Are we going to slip back into that whole succession of autocracies and empires and dictatorships that really was the norm for thousands of years before we came along? More than ever, the world has been seeming closer to extinction and destruction than to redemption, than it ever has. But all of this is not new. God has been here before and dealt with it. Last Sunday, Pete introduced us to the Bible reading plan, or the lectionary, as he said, that we're going to use for this year. And we looked at Jesus' words in Luke 21 last week, which were written for people in hard times. And we're in hard times right now. But Jesus is, in the, is on the throne. And he says, stay alert in hard times. Don't dull your heart. Don't worry. Don't avoid things. And if you read along further this week in that reading plan, you would have seen there were even more words like that. Words like watch, wait, come and see. And I do encourage you to join us in this Advent reading plan this week and, and moving on. Give it a try. I was actually going to try to avoid preaching this month. But there was this one Sunday today that was open in my schedule. And I saw the reading guide for today, and I saw that several of the scriptures were from the prophet Malachi. And I decided, you know, I would really like to take a shot at this. So our first reading for today is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And if one of your Advent traditions includes listening to or singing Handel's Messiah, you'll find many of these words very familiar. And in fact, if one of you is a bass and wants to start singing this, um, I'll forgive you and let you, let you continue. So these words are from 2,500 years ago from the prophet Malachi. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. So I read this, and I had questions. Like, how is this good news? And who are the Levites, and what do they need to be purified from? But let me just start by telling you how much I love this book of Malachi. This is the last book in the Old Testament. It comes from about the year 400 B.C. And Israel is in a dark, uncertain time. Ever since their golden age, over 500 years before this, When their hero kings, David and Solomon, had ruled and built the temple in Jerusalem, they had been little more than a ping-pong ball between world powers. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, who knew knew what would be next? Three-quarters of their people and territory had been assimilated by others. And though they'd finally been able to rebuild their temple and their city, it was nothing compared to what it had been. And the worship of God now was also apparently not going very well. The Levites, those Israelites who were designated to be priests in the temple, were clearly having problems. Maybe they were poorly trained, maybe they just didn't want the job, but it's clear they were not helping the people connect to God in the way that they should. So what was it that the Levites needed to be purified from? Malachi does not hold back. He swings away. And it all has a very paternal tone. Some of the conversation might feel very uncomfortably familiar to any of you who've ever tried arguing with a teenager. (laughs) He starts right away in his first verse, in chapter 1. I have always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? Chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You've wearied him by saying, All who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You've wearied him by asking, Where's the God of justice? Back in chapter 3. At that time, I'll put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You've said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You've said, what's the use of serving God? What do we gain by obeying his commands and trying to, serve, trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Malachi calls the people out, and especially the priesthood, the worship leaders, the Levites, On their distorted attitudes and behaviors toward God. They've been ignoring Him, cheating Him, slandering Him, and dishonoring Him. And the time is coming to give account. And you know what? After all of that, the people do a really unexpected thing, especially if you've read much Old Testament. They listen. At the end of Malachi 3, he tells us that they got together and they talked with each other and they recommitted themselves to following God. And God, in turn, is ready to restore the relationship. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. And God also has this to say to them about the Lord who is coming. And he says it in two of the most beautiful phrases in the Old Testament, in my opinion. And the reason I begged Rena to include this version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing in the worship set. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. "'And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. "'On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked "'as if they were dust under your feet,' says the Lord of heaven's armies. "'Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, "'all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. "'Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah "'before the great and de- dreadful day of the Lord arrives.' His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The Lord who is coming into their darkness will bring three things. Light, healing, and reconciliation. But there are three critical things that have to happen on their end. They must prepare for him. They must be purified and they must put into practice his teachings. And that's it. That's the end of the scriptures for the people of Israel. 400 years, they wait. Nothing happens. More empires rise and fall, more kings and kingdoms pass. And now we get to a more familiar story. 400 years later, Luke starts his story with a pair of elderly parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. After years of waiting and being considered impossibly past their childbearing years, Elizabeth has a son. Then his father Zechariah, a Jewish priest, a son of Levi, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Zechariah sees in his miracle baby with Elizabeth the fulfillment of the words of Malachi 400 years before, a messenger coming to purify the people, to make them fit to serve God again. And again in Zechariah's words, we hear the echoes of God's tender promise of reconciliation, of light, and healing and peace and so about 30 years later that baby goes to work and Luke places this moment firmly in a specific time 30 years later it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius the Roman Emperor Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea Herod Antipas was the ruler of Galilee His brother Philip was the ruler of Itcherea and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler of Abilene. Annas Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, the son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah... What? what about Malachi? Had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. So what did John do in his ministry? How did he prepare the way for the Lord's coming? Zechariah's little son ends up sounding a lot like Malachi. Here's how he starts his tender message of reconciliation. You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from this coming wrath? He goes on from there. Because for the light and healing and salvation of God to come, there first has to be this call to prepare and purify and practice his ways. And John's message is straightforward. When the crowds come to John for baptism, he says, prove by the way that you live that you have repented from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, we can create children of Abraham from these very stones. So John prepared the people by preaching and prophesying and calling out corruption He purified by baptizing them to show the repentance that they were showing for their forgiveness of sins. And he called them to practice through giving, through sharing, and through living honestly. When the people respond, what should we do? John has very practical ideas. If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Don't collect too many taxes. Don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. Don't be corrupt. Don't be evil. Put the old patterns behind you. Look outside yourself and show by how you live that you have a relationship with God. As Zechariah had prophesied, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us in the path of peace. And John is preparing that path. The Levites 400 years ago had been complacent in their relationship with God and Malachi's call had awakened them. And now John comes to Israel in this dark, uncertain time to call them out of their complacent identity as children of Abraham and into a renewed relationship with God. Advent is our opportunity every year to hear that call to prepare the way, even in a time of uncertainty. As we think about putting this into action in our own lives in this present dark time, I thought it might be helpful to think about how this theme runs through some other familiar stories in our culture where an encounter with Christmas purifies people of their distortions about God and brings light, healing, and reconciliation to them. I have to start with Clark Griswold. I was just channeling Clark yesterday afternoon as I was untangling outdoor lights and trying to make sure whether they worked or not. But as a middle-aged suburban dad, I find Clark very relatable. He's a guy who just wants to have a nice family Christmas with all the trimmings, but he has to literally go through the fire, several of them. To experience peace and reconciliation on Christmas Eve. And how about Christmas Carol? This is the ultimate Christmas carol, or the ultimate Christmas story. And by the way, the only way to watch and experience this is with the Muppets. I will die on this hill. Scrooge receives a message to prepare, he goes on a purifying journey. With the three spirits, and he receives a changed life. How about this one? When I thought about the line from Malachi that he would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, I thought of the subplot through Home Alone of Old Man Marley. He is a menacing, scary presence at the beginning of this movie. But he and Kevin actually prepare each other for reconciliation with their families. And they save each other. Finally, this one's in there for gay, for all of us, really. How about the Peanuts gang? How about this transformation from a self-centered, commercial Christmas to a community and Jesus-centered celebration. And by the way, have you ever noticed before, this is the only time ever that Linus voluntarily lays down his blanket. He sets it aside in this. Think about that. This time i would like you to stand if you're able and we'll have the worship team come back up and help us to respond. I hope this has all helped you to look at Advent and even your favorite Christmas preparations in a new light. I thought that the reading from the Advent guide for Philippians today really nicely summed it all up. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. We always uh, send you home with some tips, usually something to read, to pray, and to do. They still are, I just chose to word it a little differently. Something to prepare, to purify, and to practice. Um, So to prepare, please join us in that Advent reading plan. Take that flyer home or log on to the app and and read these. At least a few times this week, it'll help you prepare for for next week's message and reinforce this week's message. in terms of purify and praying, just bring your distortions about God to him this week and and see what he would like to do about them and uh, in terms of practice uh, such a great season just to show kindness to bring light healing and reconciliation into the lives of others into someone 's Christmas so um, let that be so for you this week um, if malachi 's call to um, have your hearts turn to your children or to your fathers. Um, pulls at your heart a bit or you identify with old man Marley. Um, you know, please, there'll be people up here to pray with you or help you connect to the Christmas holiday, um, maybe experience a little bit more joy like uh, I rather unexpectedly did this year. So. Um, We'll have some prayer folks come up here as, as we sing and, and you can come up and join them and uh, they will they will pray with you otherwise I'm happy to meet with you and, and talk with you out back thanks